Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast, where my identical twin brother and I share our thoughts and provide solutions for executives and professionals who want to become masters of speaking and communicating so that they can maximize their influence and impact. Yes, we are identical twins who happen to also be public speakers, executive coaches, and sales leaders. Our company, DSB Leadership Group, focuses on equipping leaders who want to speak with confidence and authority, all while using their authentic voice. Here on the Twins Talk It Up podcast, we present topics about communication and leadership from our perspective as individuals and as twins. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Have you ever wondered how commercial real estate firms grow their portfolios? It takes incredible skill and patience. It takes being able to trust in your process and a deep-rooted belief in building strong relationships. Building relationships must be intentional And our next guest will speak to this today. We want to welcome Art Putzel. He's a principal at Trout Daniel & Associates, a commercial real estate firm based here in the Baltimore, Maryland area. Art, welcome to the Twins Talking Up program. Thank you so much, David. Well, we're so thrilled to have you here, Art. My twin and I are excited to be able to look into this subject of building strategic relationships and how you use that to help build your firm. So, Art, tell us... Who is Art Putzel? What is your role at Trout Daniel? And Simon Sinek would say, start with your why. Who's Art Putzel and what is your why? Facing the question of what is my why is something that I really never had to think about before. Um, I am, as you said, the principal of Trout Daniel and Associates, a commercial real estate firm. Um, I probably got started on this track um, when I was in my late teens and my parents got me a volunteer job at the Baltimore City Planning Department and I was working for a guy who has since retired a few years ago but we were doing a map of downtown Baltimore in the future and he said let's draw a 40-story building here and I thought that's really cool Um, and I went into um major in college in urban studies and economics and started working after that for what is now the Baltimore Metropolitan Council. At the time, it was the Regional Planning Council, um, working on urban and regional planning. Did that for a while, went into economic development, where I was sort of on the public side of real estate, working with businesses, helping them expand, relocate, etc. Took a left turn and Uh, One of the companies I had been working with was a defense contractor. We helped them get a public loan to do a building. And I ended up going to work for them for about four years and then realized that uh, real estate was where I wanted to be. I was also concerned this was the late 80s and I was concerned about what would happen if peace broke out. because I was working for a defense contractor. I left there, I went with what at the time was Trout, Siegel and Doyle, our predecessor company. And shortly after that, the, the, uh, the Berlin Wall came down. My previous company went from about 3,500 employees to about 1,300. Um, so I was very glad I made the move. I was hired um, to be in what was at the time Trout Siegel and Doyle Development Company. I was hired in September of 2000, of um, 1987. And in October of 1987, we had Black Monday. The stock market had its biggest one day drop, I think in history from a percentage point of view. And the development business sort of disappeared. Mm-hmm. And I sort of morphed into being the controller of the firm because pretty much the same month that I went to work for Trout, I had also passed the CPA exam. I became the controller of the firm. I became the numbers guy. And over time, I grew to the point when we reformed Trout Siegel and Doyle into Trout Daniel, Mr. Trout said to me, "Um, you guys are going to form a new company. I'm going to finance it and you're going to be the broker. And it was like, okay. (laughs) So I sort of feel like I wasn't paying attention. Everybody else took a step back and I became the managing partner. Um, But I am in charge of, as I say, all the other stuff. Um, I mean, I have, 
I have partners who are exclusively brokers, you know, employees and contractors who are exclusively brokers. I've got all the other responsibility, including being what is known as the broker. Um, most of your listeners probably don't understand that for any real estate firm, um, regulatorily, there is only one broker. And that includes really big firms with dozens or hundreds of offices like a Long and Foster or something like that. Long and Foster has one broker. Everybody else is an associate broker, a salesperson. And that broker, if he loses his license, they have to scramble to make somebody else in charge. Um, so I have that regulatory responsibility. I'm licensed in six states. Um, and I guess I'm responsible for, as I said, for everything else in the company, um, including um, with my partners, the strategic direction. This is Danny. Um, typically, I'm all in the, what I call technology sales. This is what I've been doing my whole career uh, since 1998, actually. All tech sales, telecom sales, data center sales, everything else. And, and the sales that you're doing is unique and different from what we do. But I'm assuming that there's going to be a typical sales cycle. There's a typical sales process. Um, and the bigger the deal, typically the longer it takes in order to close that opportunity because it's a little bit more complex. Can you explain to our audience what that looks like in your industry, in your space? Uh, how complex is it? Is it, is it more of a, a typical sales cycle, like a smaller opportunity, not as many hundreds of millions of dollars, whatever it may be. So maybe it's a little bit uh, simpler, a little bit uh, quicker to close. Tell our audience a little bit more about in your industry, what that typical process looks like. I would like to say that there's a typical process, but there really isn't. Uh, first of all, you know, just so they understand, you know, we are commercial brokers. Um, and I won't forget, we're also property managers, but that's sort of a separate but related business. But in the brokerage side, we represent um, lessors and lessees of commercial real estate. We represent buyers and sellers who might also be users of commercial real estate. And we represent buyers and sellers of investment real estate. And the sales cycle is probably, and when I say sales, I'm going to include getting leases executed. Right. You know, it's somewhere between three months and 18 years. Um, and <laughs> When I say that, you know, you could have somebody approaching you and saying, um, <clears throat> the office building I was in just burned. I need to lease new space and I need to do it right away. And you can go out, you can find something, um, office space, you know, office space to lease. You have to find something that's good enough. You don't necessarily have to find the perfect thing. Um, so you could probably identify it and identify a couple of candidates in a week or two, go out, take a look at it in another week or two, negotiate a lease in three weeks and be done in a month and a half or two months. Um, on the other hand, um, you could be representing a retailer who needs to be at the corner of Maine and Maine as opposed to half a block off the corner. And You've got to find that location and it might take six months or a year until something becomes available. And then they've got to negotiate it and then they've got to get permits to build it and then build it and then occupy. And by the time we get paid, which might be when they pay their first month's rent, you know, it could be two or three years down the road. Then there's the one that my partner has under contract right now, which will hopefully be settling next month which is, I think, about a $7 million sale, where he first established a relationship with a property owner 18 years ago. Wow. Um, the longest deal I've ever worked on was one, um, it was an assemblage of about four or five properties. And from the time I took the listing on the first property until the time we had settlement was six and a half years. So Ooh. to say what's the typical sales cycle, um, it's, it's a complicated question. <laughs> uh, Art, this is David, and I'm glad you shared that. And it really is important to be able to see that in your world, it's so complex and there's different needs that arise. There's different situations that come up and you have to really be in there with these potential leasers 
uh, in terms of clients and understand what they're looking for, understand what you can provide. It makes me think about when I was courting my wife. At the time I was courting her, I knew on the very first date, I couldn't just put a ring on her finger. It would take some time. And yet I'm sure there are situations out there where people have just proposed to their wife the first time they met them. But in your world, you have to develop a strategy, a relationship strategy. Can you speak to why it's so important to develop the right strategy so that you can go through the nuances of the legal aspects, permits, everything down the line that it takes to really get that client into the right space? Because we're talking about quantity, quality over quantity. It's not about how many LinkedIn contacts do you have? Matter of fact, I might be more worried if there was a, a social broker in your company that had a, a ton of contacts versus the guy that's the, let's say the ace or the, another social broker who only has a few, but he leverages those in the right ways. Can you talk about what that's like to develop a relationship strategy or do you develop a relationship strategy within your firm? Well, let me, what you said sort of uh, reminded me of a story that my partner tells um, I'm going to take a little detour and then come back to your question. Um, he used to have his own company doing mall leasing um, for many, many years. One of the preeminent people in the country that did that. He tells me that the best salesperson he ever had was the one that made the least phone calls. Um, mm. He just made the right phone calls. Nice. Um, you know, he nice. knew who to call for the right, for the right space. So that sort of gets to your story, but our business is one, as I said, of long lead times. And the average company um, that's doing, that has one or two locations, um, doesn't need our services very often. And what I always say is that I can come into your house and sell you a Cutco knife that you don't need. And I don't mean to disparage Cutco. We have a friend that sold us a friend's son that sold us a Cutco knife when he was probably 17. He's now 38. <laughs> and I still use that knife every they're day. They're awesome knives. Yeah. Yeah. They're great knives. So I don't want to disparage Cutco, but I can sell you one that you didn't know you needed. I cannot sell you a $3 million building or put you in a 30,000 square foot lease if you don't need it today. So mm -hmm. our challenge, as you rightly point out, is how do you stay in front of the people that are important so when that need does come up, they think of you because we are, and this may come as a surprise to some people, we are not the only commercial real estate firm out there. Mm. Um, so the, cha the challenge, and it's an ongoing challenge, is how do you stay in front of people? Um, and the importance of it can't be underestimated. I have a guy that I've known since the days that I was in planning, which is... Uh, as I mentioned, 40 some years ago, I went on to become a commercial real estate agent. He went on to become an attorney that he specializes a lot in zoning. And I called him one day with a question and said, you know, let's have, let's have coffee and talk about this. And if I can, I will persuade the owner to use your services. So I was looking for free advice. Wow. We had breakfast. He gave us the advice. The owner decided not to do anything. But three weeks later, I get a referral from that attorney um, of another client. Why? Because I was front of mind. Um, because I had just seen him. No other reason. I mean, he's a zoning attorney. He works with commercial real estate agents all the time. Um, but I happen to be the one that was in front of him. So the challenge that we're constantly facing, and I'm not convinced that social media is the answer, although we're, we're trying it, um, is how to stay in front of the people who are the influencers um, so that when the need arises, um, we're the ones that think about. And that is, as you say, relationships. It's staying in touch with people. It's making them comfortable with you. Um, in our case, a lot of those relationships are not with the space users. They're with the people that influence the space users. We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Live Love Thanks. Live Love Thanks helps purpose-driven women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs to permanently eliminate clutter and end stress and overwhelm. 
so they can move forward in their careers, relationships, and health. Visit LiveLoveThanks.com for impactful coaching and program professional women's. I am delighted to announce that App Meetup's customers can now benefit from the presentation and speaking training courses with our integration and partnership with DSB Leadership Group. DSB Leadership Group is committed to providing training and resources to support professionals becoming more effective communicators and increase their impact and value. And that is the reason why App Meetup and DSB Leadership Group have formed a partnership to make sure that our MSPs, which is you, can be effective and powerful speakers in the community. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners. 20% off products or services on our website. Just send us an email with the subject line podcast, and we will send you that special discount code at dsbleadershipgroup.com. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. How do you and strengthen those key relationships as you talked about you 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 brought up the fact that you had one of your partners had 18 years in building that relationship um and so how do you add value how do you continue to stay in touch how do you continue to keep pushing and and continue to keep driving that that process forward when sometimes people they just want to be your best friends they appreciate what you're doing for them but how do you continue to nurture that and then kind of nudge them towards the right path in order to get to shorten that cell cycle well to answer the second part of your question first you're probably not going to shorten the sales cycle you're not going <laughs> to you're not going to make the need occur before they have the need mm-hmm. so it's staying in touch it's just you know it's it's phone calls if they're local you know it's having that occasional breakfast right. and um you know there's a difference there's a real difference between cultivating the user and cultivating the influencer. I mean, the reason I say influencers is, you know, from our point of view, accountants, attorneys, those are the advisors that people go to early on. Um, I always say accountants and attorneys are great referral sources for us and we're great referral sources for them. On the other hand, and, you know, again, not to disparage the people that sell carpet, but by the time we would be great referral sources for somebody that sells carpet. On the other hand, by the time somebody's picking out carpet, they've probably already got their location. Yeah. Um, so they're not great referral sources for us. Um, <laughs> but it's it's a challenge. It's a lot of phone calling. Um, it's if the guy owns a property and doesn't have it listed for sale you still might call them every once in a while and say would you take or i've got somebody that you know mentioned that he was interested are you interested in selling i mean i get we own um as partnerships we own some real estate and i'm getting calls all the time from brokers saying um you know would you Mm. um my my former boss called it a would you take would you You take um but it's it's a real challenge it's going to networking functions um i had the conversation with somebody this week as a matter of fact zoom and you know webex and all those things are wonderful tools for purposeful meetings right but you typically don't run into people on zoom i went to my very first live networking thing in a year and so a couple of weeks ago nice. and the people that you just run into um those things can't be replicated online nope. so it is getting out there and mingling and um there was an interesting observation at a bbj seminar i attended several years ago which is um and it's particularly relevant for our business if you want to go if you're going to something, don't go based on the topic, go based on the audience. Um, you know, for okay. example, um, one of my guys joined a logistics association, hmm. not because he had a fascination with logistics, but because he wanted to be the real estate broker that logistics companies went to. Right. So, you know, everybody, probably everybody at that meeting is in the logistics business, maybe except for him. He might be the only real estate broker there. That's a good thing. It is. Um, so 
I mean, I don't think there is a tried and true strategy for this. And the chances are, if you meet somebody, the chances are very, very good that they don't have that need today. Yeah. And I always draw this continuum. Um, and I guess from the point of view of your viewers, you know, there's a continuum of when you can meet somebody. Yeah. And there is this side of it, which is too early. There's this side of it, which is too late. And there's this tiny little spot in the middle, which is just at the right time. Mm. And your chances of hitting that tiny little spot are just about nil. So do you hit them, you know, do you hit them too early or too late? You obviously want to be there too early. And then as you point out, the challenge is how do you keep that alive until the need is there? Yeah. And that's a challenge that we deal with, you know, every day. Yeah. And one of the, right about that. You know, one of the, and you're making me think about things that, you know, I haven't necessarily thought through. Um, one of the advantages of having a company is that other people can also help keep your relationships alive. Yeah. Um, we have somebody that called me because uh, they knew through our personal relationship that I was a commercial real estate agent. Um, so asked for help. I referred it to my partner who that's in his wheelhouse. And that's now a relationship that's probably at this point, uh, three years old, they are dealing with him on a constant basis. So he's keeping my partner's keeping my relationship alive. That's awesome. Um, and when you're actually physically in the office and you hear somebody mention a name and you go, Oh, I know him. Yeah. You know, that's, this is a situation where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Right. No, that's awesome. You had, um, so just with that aspect of just networking, having great relationship, being intentional on how we network, as you're talking about your, your, um, one of your, your friends is taking care of this relationship and, and making it grow over three years. I think that's phenomenal. I, I love how you talked about, is that one moment. And you also brought up the fact that there's only certain things you can do with Zoom, WebEx, and Microsoft Teams, meeting somebody on site. Sometimes something happens, you just run into somebody. And I do miss that. I miss the fact that with, with COVID, everything has been virtual. I do miss meeting people and running into people. Sometimes the best networking, the best opportunities happen when you meet people, just running into them at a Starbucks or at a conference or at an event. I do miss that. So give us a little bit more insight on the fact that our network can provide us with insights. They support us. They're great advocates. They provide great ease talking about great options. How do you use your network and how do you leverage it for more opportunity? You gave us an insight. You said sometimes the lawyers, the carpet people, you guys all refer business back and forth to each other, but you have so many people on your team. How do you help them to leverage the network to find new opportunities, like you just said earlier? Well, my partner came to me the other day and said, you know, one of our clients needs an attorney. Um, who would you recommend, you know, that could do a lease, a, you know, a simple form lease? Okay. Well, you, you go through the number of, go through in your head, the number of people that you know that you're comfortable with, because yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I have, I have a friend, I won't even mention what business he's in, um, but he, he sells and he doesn't give referrals because he's afraid that if somebody doesn't do a good job, it reflects back on him. Right. Um, I understand that. I don't agree with it, but you know, the risk is there. So, you know, I gave my partner uh, four names because we don't typically like to give out one, although I had this discussion with one of them yesterday. He does only, he's an attorney. He says, I'm in the business of giving advice. You know, if I'm not comfortable giving advice, including who you should use, I shouldn't be in the business of giving advice. Um, but we gave out, I gave my partner four names, all of whom I knew personally, all of whom I thought would do a good job. Interestingly, a client came back and said, that's too many, give me two names. Um, so I give him two names. One is a a good friend who's also a very good real estate attorney. And one is somebody I knew through my community group, who's also a very good real estate attorney. 
gave them both names. And, you know, hopefully, you know, that's the kind of thing that, um, that comes back to us someday. Yeah. You know, it's also somebody that we know we can work with because when that lease is being negotiated, we're going to be involved, you know, and we're looking for, in that case, we're looking for people that are deal makers, not deal breakers. There are attorneys out there that, you know, fancy themselves as cowboys and, um, you know, can cause a deal to tank. Um, But it's a matter of, it's a matter of knowing the people in your network, knowing who's good at what, Um, you know, I did not represent, I did not recommend one of the really, really big firms with the high powered attorneys who might be better for the hundred million dollar transaction that you were talking about earlier. Right. You know, this doesn't justify that. Right. And I agree with you. And this is Danny, by the way, the, you, you had talked about a little bit more about how somebody would appreciate the referrals. Others do not like referrals. And in my industry, in the IT space, at times we have managed service providers who don't, do not want to do a referral or bring another competitor in because they're afraid of losing the account or losing opportunities. Whereas we have other people who love referrals, who love bringing in other people in order to add more value to their client. And what I see is that anytime you do a referral, you're adding more value for your client. You're helping them shorten the sales cycle. You're helping them bridge the gap of trust saying that, well, if Art said, this is who I need to speak with, then I trust that rather than having to go online, go to Google, Bing it, or ask other people. But if Art is referring this person, I'm going to trust that. Right. And there's, there's something so unique and key when it comes to relationship building is that if you say it, I'm going to trust it. I don't know who this third party person is, but if you say it, I will trust it. And I strongly believe in relationships. I strongly believe in referrals. Uh, why other people do not, I really don't know. I just don't get it. I don't understand well, why. I need David it. said some David said something before we started that you know he wanted to come away with some nuggets. I will I will give you a nugget that is not mine. Mm-hmm. Um, it was our jewelers. Mm-hmm. And it was on his stationery, it was on his at the bottom of his invoices, it was on his business card. And his saying, and I don't know if it's original with him, but I attribute it to him, was know your jewelry or know your jeweler. Well, and I use that all the time when I'm buying insurance, like for the company. You know, if you've ever had to actually read an insurance policy, which I have, mm-hmm. um, it is nearly impossible to understand what you're covered for and what you aren't. Right. So you either need to know your insurance or you need to know your insurance agent. Um, and you know, it's, it's trust. That's, that's, that's what it comes down to. And it's sort of what you're saying. Um, you know, I could interview six attorneys if I'm, if I'm a lay person and they're all going to come off good. But if somebody that I trust says, here's the guy you want to use, then that's the guy I want to use. That's a good point. Art, this is David, and I do appreciate the insight. And you may have mentioned with the jeweler, you need to know jewelry, you need to know what you're looking at and looking for, or you need to trust the professional you're going to, to provide you with the right piece, say you want to give it to your spouse, what have you. And so we're talking about branding. So can you talk about the Trout Daniel brand? What does every key relationship need to understand or every potential client need to understand about you. And if you don't present the right brand, then of course that can put a bad taste in their mouth. And then that can lead them down a path where they don't want to work with you or they'll tell some other potential clients, Hey, don't work with this, this group here. So tell us about the Trout Daniel brand. Why do these potential clients, these decision makers of huge multimillion dollar deals say, I want to work with art. I trust Trout Daniel. Well, I think they have to believe that. Let me back up a second. Okay. We are commission driven. Okay. I mean, that's, that's the way we get paid and for good or bad in general, um, we get paid more if the deal is bigger. Um, Yeah. And very few cases do we get just, a fixed fee for something. Mm -hmm. So if we're representing a buyer or the seller or the lessor or the lessee, our fee is bigger. Um, If the transaction is bigger, 
and if there's no other broker involved to share it with. So there is a built-in incentive to behave in certain ways. Our clients have to feel that despite that, that we are working in their interest, not our interest. Um, and that is, that's something that you can only prove over time yeah. um, because they can see that, you know, if, if they're a tenant, they can see fairly simply that if they're paying a dollar more per square foot in rent, that we're getting paid more. And they have to be confident that despite that, we're trying to negotiate the best deal that we can. Um, similarly, you know, the buyer of a building, um, we might be being paid by the buyer, we might be being paid by the seller, but again, you know, the fees often going to be dependent on the size of the deal. So um, there's, there's no way to sugarcoat it. They just have to, they just have to have that implicit trust. And I, so we put integrity forward as, you know, one of our primary tenets, you know, one of the things that's important to us. And it's one of the reasons that I, oh, 20, 25 years ago, I was considering uh, moving to another job. But what I always said is one of the things I never doubted when we were Trout, Siegel and Doyle was that, um, that the principles of the firm had integrity and that that is not a universal quality in our industry. Mm. Um, but that was very important to me, um, you know, that, that you do what's right for the client. And then in the long run, that's going to benefit you. Yeah. Um, you may give up $5,000 on this deal. Mm. Um, you may have to walk away from a deal entirely and give up the entire fee. But if it's in the client's best interest, that client is either going to be back, you know, for another deal or they're going to recommend somebody. And one of the fun parts of our business is answering the phone because you never know what's on the other end. And you, it could be so-and-so told me to call you and you have to think for a minute and go, who the hell is so-and-so, you know, but at some point you made an impression on him and maybe it's somebody you never made a deal with, yeah. um, but he liked the way you handled yourself, or it could be somebody who was on the other side of the deal I actually had this, um, when I sold my last home, um, I did a lot of work on the house. So I knew the house inside and out. And the buyer had an inspector come out and inspect the house. And every skeleton that I was aware of, he found. So I hired him to inspect the house that I was buying. You know, <laughs> you know because he just did, he just did an awesome job. He was working against me, but he did an awesome job. So I hired him the next time. And you just don't know where those, you don't know where your next piece of business is coming from. Yeah. Um, so it's important to treat everybody fairly and everybody with integrity. It's actually, it, it does happen to be one of the uh, um, requirements of the code of ethics of our business, but that doesn't mean that everybody adheres to it. Um, and our, this is David. And I love how you said that our, your brand, Trout Daniel, we're going to be known as a firm that leads with integrity because even though that code is out there, there's still the perception, there's still this sense of feeling that we don't trust this type of industry or we don't believe we're gonna get the best opportunity or deal coming our way. And the fact that you're willing to walk away or say, I'll take less because you're looking at the long-term goal. You're looking at the end of the day, it's not just about this one deal. You're talking about setting the foundation for deals that are going to come down the road. So this leads to my next question. How else do you gauge the value of these relationships? Are there any metrics that you use? Do you think maybe down the road, if I get a referral or this client turns into a repeat client, how do you gauge the value of these relationships? Because if you're going to look at the end game, if you're going to look at longevity, I'm sure that's what's driving you to think if I'm happy now eating now, or I could be eating down the road for the entire organization. Tough question, uh, because you just don't know where things are going, particularly in the long run. Yeah. Um, we have a friend whose daughter is now, let's see, she just turned 41. So I would say, 
and I'm not afraid to use her first name. I would say when she was 15 years old, we all figured we'd be working for Jackie someday. Um, she is now the just she's just been made the chief strategy officer for a fairly significant national corporation. And I still may be working for Jackie someday. I have no idea. Um, so you don't know where those relationships are going to go. Um, I used to draw a graph, or I still do draw a graph with four quadrants in it. The two axes are dollars and probability. And the deals you would love to be working on are the ones in the upper right-hand quadrant with high probability and high dollars. And the ones with low probability, high dollars or high probability and low dollars, you have to work on some of those. And you try not to work on the low probability and low dollars unless, right. you know, um, and, you know, I will use a, a public name just because um, it can't hurt. Um, you know, if Microsoft came to us and said, uh, we have three years left on this 2000 square foot office that we leased, we'd like you to sublet it for us. Um, do we want to do that? You know, it's a low probability. And if we are successful, we're not going to make much money on it. But are we going to take it? Absolutely. Um, because who knows what it might lead to? It's Microsoft. You know, they, they lease a lot of real estate around the country. So there's a lot of things that go into a relationship. I had another one, that, you know, guy brought a commission into my office um, to bill. And I want to say it was like $400. And I said, you know, why did you even get involved in this deal? It was my grandfather. Okay, you know, enough said. <laughs> you know, so there's always, there's almost always a reason. Um, because, you know, again, you don't know where it's going to go. Um, so it's, it's very difficult to say what relationships aren't worth cultivating. On the other hand, <clears throat> there seems to be this pretty much absolute limit of 168 hours a week. Hmm. And some of those you might even waste sleeping. So it's really less than 168. Um, so there's only so much you can do to keep relationships alive. And it's, it's something I'm still grappling with, you know, what's the best way to stay in front of people. We have hired a social media firm um, that we're working with, but you know, how do you reach people? It's challenging. You know, I don't know, I don't know by doing this right now, what, you know, who I might be reaching and what the effect might be. I have no clue, but I was more than happy to, to sit down and talk to you, you because, know, because who knows? We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Paul Jackowitz of pauljackowitz.com. For all your website design and management needs, visit Paul Jackowitz. That's Paul, J-A-C-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z.com. Thank you for checking out the DSB Leadership Speaking Podcast. If you are enjoying the program and are learning something along with us, please consider becoming a supporting member through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash twins talk it up. Also, consider leaving a five-star rating on Apple and comment on our other platforms, including YouTube. If you'd like to learn more and get more information, we would like you to become a guest on our future episode. Send us a message via our website at www.dsbleadershipgroup.com. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners for a free consultation over the next two weeks. Visit our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. This is Dave. I, um, I, I love that story. And I, I would tell you that there's certain things that people will do that pulls on my heart. So if someone says it was my grandfather, I'm probably going to jump on that as well. Just it's just a family thing. It's really, really impactful. <laughs> so right, you had mentioned earlier a little bit about going to your first event in such a long time. And, um, you know, COVID, this health pandemic, 
has really affected a lot of industries, a lot of individuals, a lot of businesses. And I'm assuming that really what the COVID has done for the CRE space with so many employees working from home and so many businesses um, defaulting on their lease and things like that. What do you feel is the outlook now What so many people starting to look at going to a hybrid situation, going back to the office, what does that outlook look now for Q3, Q4, and then going into the 2020-2022 year? Well, I will tell you that there's this old story about what we need as a one-handed economist because all the economists are saying, on the one hand, you got this. On the other hand, you got that. Um, so depending on what conclusion you'd like to come to, I can find you articles that will support it. I said early on that I suspect that, and I pulled a number out of the air, I suspect the companies are going to look at it and say, we've got a lot of people working from home. We need 30% less space. But on the other hand, um, we have to rethink the way our offices are and have more distancing in them. So we're going to need 30% more space. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, you may not see as many 10 year and 15 year leases anymore. Um, you may see more threes and five with options. Um, the more, you know, on the retail side, you know, we've been predicting projecting the death of retail for several years now. Um, COVID accelerated some of that, but you know we still are having some success on the retail leasing side. It's not necessarily selling stuff. It's you know more services. Um, I look at the shopping center that's right across the street from our office and you know a restaurant was replaced by healthcare. Um, and but there's several new restaurants um, because I don't know if I'm alone in this. Um, you know, having food delivered is not the same as going to a restaurant. You know, it might be for pizza, but for you know, for casual dining or for fine dining, it isn't the same to get it in a styrofoam container. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of things are going to come back. The office is still an open question. Although, you know, just our personal experience is there are conversations that are taking place in our office that don't take place on Zoom. They, because they're, mm. as we talked about earlier, they're spontaneous. And those spontaneous conversations don't take place as easily if you have to pick up the phone and call somebody or even worse, schedule a Zoom meeting. Yeah. Um, it's just not the same as walking by someone and going, oh, Gary, there's something I meant to ask you. Yeah. yeah. All right, this is David, and I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on the outlook post this health pandemic. And I have been talking to different people within the space, and they've been sharing everything from repurposing spaces. And as you mentioned earlier, they might want larger spaces to accommodate employees coming back to work. Um, they might be downsizing a little bit to allow their employees to work in a hybrid model. I've been hearing about some of these strip malls or larger malls now repurposing to perhaps look at condominiums and they're trying to think differently, think outside the box. So I do yeah. appreciate you sharing that. In terms of the greater Baltimore market, I know this is where you are. And out of curiosity, what have you seen here in Baltimore in terms of the push, because for me and my wife, uh, I'm trying to take her out tonight for some new for some crab cakes. That's what we're known for here, right? So, what are you seeing specifically here in Baltimore? And uh, any other thoughts you want to maybe share with our audience about leveraging relationships for long-term goals? Those are two very different questions. Um, I don't think Baltimore was ever overbuilt like some markets were. Um, so. We're still seeing a lot of positives. I'm, you know, with my, my partner just wrote an article for a publication about um, the downtown and the fact, you know, the state has just um, said they're going to move a number of the former state center offices, you know, back into the CBD, which should be good for the CBD. Um, plus, you've got a lot of residential going on down there. I think the nature of the nature of the CBD, the nature of the city is changing some. But I think um, 
if Baltimore City can get its other issues under control, and you know, I'm still hopeful that that's going to happen someday, um, I think people will still want to live in the city. Um, one of the people in my office just told me that um, she lives actually not far from me, just inside the city line, but in a more suburban neighborhood, and she misses the ability to walk to places. My son lived in Manhattan, and you know the fact that you could pretty much get anything you wanted within a close walking distance is really nice. I like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, I am reasonably encouraged about the city. We see a lot of stuff happening from an investment point of view. My investment brokers um, have properties in the city that they're selling. You know, that they, when I say that they're selling, I mean, people are buying them. Wow. Um, you know, anytime you sell something, there's somebody on the other side that's buying it and they presumably are buying it because they believe in it. At least they believe in it at that price. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't think that's a discouraging thing. I think that's an encouraging thing. Our business is all relationships. Um, I contrast it to, um, you know, if you're traveling in Fargo, North Dakota, mm -hmm. and you're hungry, and you happen to be the kind of person that likes McDonald's and you see the golden arches, you're going to go McDonald's because you know what you're going to get. It's going to be consistent. What you get, you know, at McDonald's in Fargo, it's going to be pretty damn similar to what you get in Baltimore or Tallahassee. Um, on the other hand, service businesses, you're dealing with people. Um, if your wife's getting her nails done at a salon, and her manicurist moves to a different salon, there's a decent chance if it's within close driving distance that she's gonna move with the manicurist. It's not the brand of the salon that's important. It's the person that she's dealing with. Um, if you have an attorney that uh, has handled your family's um, business for years and you like him and he moves to a different law firm, chances are you're gonna move with him. Um, in real estate brokerage, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, even if you're a CBRE, who's one of our biggest multinational competitors, um, if you're comfortable with your CBRE agent in Baltimore and your business is primarily in Baltimore and he moves to another firm, you're probably going to move with him uh, because A, you like him and B, you also trust his judgment. Um, so, if he says there's a platform that's better for me, then you're going to believe that that platform's better for you as the client as well. Well, it's the same thing, you know. We, you know, we believe in our people. We believe in our people developing relationships, and you know, that's what it's all about. <laughs> and hopefully, it's repeat business. I mean, those are the kind of relationships you want to establish. I mean, the the nail salon business that I just put in. Um, that's why I picked that because I just, I don't do that many transactions myself because of my other responsibilities, but I just did uh, a lease for a nail salon. Chances are she's not going to be doing another nail salon. However, the chances are also that she knows a lot of people, you know, and if I did a good job for her on this little transaction, who knows what that turns into? You know, I could get a, I could get a call from somebody that says, so-and-so told me to call you, you know, I need 40,000 square feet of space. <laughs> and that's really what it is. You're staying faithful yeah. to the process, staying faithful to what you believe to be true about your brand and integrity. In the long run, it does pay off. But Art, I want to share that I love your perspective on having the right people, even within your firm. When you hire right and you develop the right type of people, they're going to represent Trout Daniel in the right way. They're going to represent your firm in a way where they want to stay there. They want to grow there. And like you said, their relationships trust them. And because they trust them, they're going to trust in you and your brand. Yeah. Well, so, let me say that, yeah. let me, let me say that one of the things in our firm that I know differentiates it from some other firms is uh, we pride ourselves in generally in having an open database. So our database is open. You can see what somebody else's emails are, et cetera. Um, that is a two-way street because if I'm trusting you to see 
my dealings with a certain client, I'm also trusting you that you are not going to contact that client without going through me. Um, And, you know, if you come to me and say, you know, I see that you've had several emails with Jim, um, you know, I'd like to offer him such and such, then you've also got to trust me that I'm going to say, yes, I have a good relationship with him or no, you know, he he'll work with anybody you don't, you know, you don't need me in that process. So that is very important to us. Again, that is not universal among firms. And there are firms that are organized that way. There are other firms that everybody's pretty much in a silo and very protective of their own, of their own relationships. Um, If we don't, if we don't trust our people, they're no longer with us. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. That's such a great point. And we're talking about relationships on many, many different levels. So I want to thank you, Art, for coming on to our program. I can't tell you that how many of our audience members are going to take so many different nuggets and pearls of wisdom from our conversation. And I'm definitely going to have you back on again because there's so much more I want to get into with you and your world. But Art, thank you for joining our program today. We are thrilled that you were able to come and spend some time with our program. Okay, great. Thank you. I really enjoyed it, David and Danny. Awesome. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Please, if you haven't subscribed already, uh, please do that today. Download the latest episode and follow Art. We'll go ahead and leave his contact information as well. We'll see you guys on the next episode of the Twins Talking Up podcast. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talking Up podcast. Please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at DSB Leadership and visit us online at dsbleadershipgroup.com to learn more about our workshops and trainings. We will see you on the next episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast.